Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. The 2021 season is officially in the books. So how'd we do? Let's find out. Welcome into our first off-season fantasy baseball today on Tuesday, October 5th. Frank Stample joined by Scott White. And now that the dust has settled, we will take a look at top five at each position this year in 5x5 Roto. I'll let you know if anything stood out in Headset Points Leagues. We'll take a look at the stat leaders in each major 5x5 category, some macro-level stats and trends to compare to 2019. We'll make some playoff predictions, have a little bit of fun. But, Scotty, what is up? We did it. We did it. We did it. It's a new day. It's a new, it's a new season right now, Frank. It's a new season. Some might say the World Series hasn't happened yet. Playoffs haven't started, therefore, it is still the same season. But those those somebodies are wrong. <laughs> They're wrong because right here it's it's 2022, and you got to get used to saying 2022. And uh, at some point, you might accidentally say 2023 because your mind's leaping ahead from the year it's already leaped ahead from. But you, you gotta you gotta watch out for that. 2022, hey, baby. You know what, Scott. Given uh, this offseason and what we have to expect between the uh, the, the CBA and, and the, the bargaining between uh, the MLB and the Players Association, the next season that we're talking about might actually be 2023. So I won't completely <laughs> rule that out. Uh, hopefully. Hey, 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 hey. hey. <laughs> Come on, Mr. Pessimist. Come yeah. on. There hasn't been a work stoppage in your life, has there? Were you live in 1994? Yes, I was. Come on, Scott. Was I alive in 1994? <laughs> I was walking I around know. in my my underwears as a toddler. Come on, man. What year were you born in? 91. Okay. Yeah, so, right. you know, I, I obviously... So you, you don't recall 1994. I do not. I do not. No. But uh, let, let's let's hope that none of that actually happens here. Uh, how did 2021 actually turn out for you, Scott? What was what was the win total at? What did we get up to? So I won, I won two leagues. Okay. I won two leagues. Um which uh, all things considered isn't too bad. Uh, I think I said uh, 11 fantasy leagues last time. One of them is the Scott White Dynasty League, which is 24 teams, and like most of your roster turns over from one year to the next. So it's not like I applied my 2021 strategy to that league. So leaving it off the table, focusing really just on redraft leagues, I was in 10, and I won two. It was 20%. I mean, that's it could be better, but it could definitely be worse. I mean, it's not a bad percentage of leagues one uh one of them is the podcast for the people league which longtime listeners will know has been a thorn in my side since heath cummings first designed it i think he, he set up the rules just to troll me because <laughs> there are a lot of annoying qualities in that league but i won 
I won in, by the narrowest possible margin over the two-week championship, five to four to one. But I'm a champ now in that league that has always been a thorn in my side. So that's that's good. I won the NL only Roto League. That was the other one I won. So that's good too. Two wins. The problem, Frank, is that it's pretty rare that I finish in the bottom half of a league. I finished in the bottom half, I believe, of six of those ten leagues. So... You know, two wins isn't bad. Bottom half of the league in six of ten when you're not used to finishing in the bottom of half. Uh, that, that's bad. So I would say my 2021 season is a mixed bag. Was a mixed bag. It's 2022 now, right? Um, and uh, I'll try to do better because I'm not happy about it. Not happy about it, Frank. But I'm glad I got two champions. At it. Like if I, if I won no championships, like I would be just totally depressed. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you know, I think mixed bag is a good way to put it. And, and I've seen I, I've seen a lot of mixed results on on Twitter in general and on fantasy baseball Twitter, right? Where there, I mean, there's a lot of great players out there. And obviously, you know, people are talking about the leagues that they won. And and there was a few people that were like, this was just an awful season for me. And, and I, I, you know, I'm not here to make excuses for anybody. But look, we're coming off a 60 game season last year. We knew that it was going to a be a weird year this year because we didn't really know how to project specifically pitchers uh, coming off the shortened season, but we didn't really know how much stock to put into stats and stuff from last season. So uh, as a result, I would say that there was a new ball and there was a rule change, sticky substances. Like it was crazy. (laughs) It was absolutely a crazy 2021. So look, if you had a rough year, just know that you're not alone uh, because Look, as we're talking about here, and as I will point out, uh, it was specifically a mixed bag. If you won, however, you should give yourself a pat on the back because for all the reasons I just mentioned, it was a crazy year. So I was in nine draft and hold leagues. That includes seven NFBC draft champions, one standard best ball league, and then the Rad Slam, which is also a best ball league. I won two of my draft champions. So I won two of those nine uh, draft and hold formats. And then I had eight redraft leagues. That's not counting the Scott White Dynasty League, where my team is not very good, admittedly. Uh, and I'm going to be in a multi-year rebuild. You just took over of somebody course. else's team. So Yeah, so I had eight redraft leagues, not counting that one, uh, where you know you have waivers, you're setting your lineups, etc. And I won two of those. So I won my home league uh, back-to-back years now. It's a 12-team head-to-head points keeper league. We keep up to four players uh, per year. And... 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 Burying the lead here. I won Tau Wars. I won Tau yeah. Wars head-to-head <laughs> points. 12-team league with roto-sized rosters, two catchers, corner infielder, middle infielder, five outfielders, seven starting pitchers, two relief pitchers, and unlimited IL spots. So it, it is a, it's a head-to-head points league, but it's deeper. It's deeper than we're used to talking about for that standard-sized league. And um, it, it's cool, man. Like It's honestly yeah. an awesome moment. And I, you know, look, I'm not here to just, whatever, talk about myself the entire time. But it's cool. It's very sentimental for multiple reasons, Guy, I used to like travel into the city to watch Nando DeFino and, and uh, Scott Engel, someone I used to work with. They, were, they, were, um, they would be bidding on players in the, the tout mixed uh, draft that they used to do. And it's just awesome because it was like, that was my first exposure to the industry, just going there and like watching, honestly, a bunch of like middle-aged dudes just like... Th- throw numbers around and stuff like Al Melchior used to be there. And it was, it was like an awesome yeah. experience. And I used to be like, Oh man, I, I, I wish like one day I could be in a league like this with like industry experts and stuff around the league, uh, around the world really. And, um, 
and now I am, and now I want it. So it, yeah. it honestly is a, a really cool moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I feel you. What, when I, when I won last year, it, it honestly felt better than I expected it to feel. <laughs> Cause you know, a lot of, a lot of the people you're playing against are people you're used to playing against anyway. Cause they're just kind of, you know, there, there's a lot of expert leagues out there, but for some reason tout wars with all the, all the the pageantry surrounding it, if you could call it that, middle aged guys <laughs> throwing numbers around, right? <laughs> uh, but you know, it's 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 obviously one of the long standing and most well known industry leagues, and there's a lot of bookkeeping done for it. It's it's one that people, as a general rule, people don't pay attention to leagues they're not in, but that's Tau Wars is one of the few that they do. So congratulations, Frank. I'm. Um, I'm proud of you. We got we got two Tout Wars champs on this podcast now. However, my Tout Wars league, I, that was one of the leagues I finished in the bottom half in this year. So I did not come close to repeating in mine. All right. So look, we're going to bounce back, Scotty. We're going to get you back on track. I'm going to have a, a crown here, I guess, uh, to... To defend in the in the Tower Wars Headset Points League, uh, and then Chris, we'll get we'll get Chris back on track. And look, if we could go three years in a row, you win one, I win one, Chris wins one, I will gladly take that. So next year, hopefully, uh, the year of Chris Towers in his Tower Wars League. And of course, when I say like older dudes just like throwing numbers around, I mean that in like the utmost respectful way, because <laughs> like honestly, these are like pioneers in the industry and stuff, and just like people that I really do respect. And I do want to give a shout out to Ariel Cohen, who was the uh, defending champion, and I was going up against him in the finals and he was uh gracious in defeat and texting me all throughout the week and he wants to take me out to lunch and just a great dude so shout out to ariel cohen uh ian khan called me and we talked about how he had an awesome season as well uh he congratulated me so it was just a really cool moment to hear from those two uh great players ian khan and uh ariel cohen as well i do want to give a shout out to one more uh sean millerick who won our head-to-head points podcast league 12 team league it's obviously been around for much longer than I've been around. Uh, so your name will be etched in stone with the uh, with all the other winners of that league in the past. I do have one news item that I'm going to get to, but I also saw a bunch of people dropped a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast, basically thanking us for helping them win their championships. We love you guys. That is awesome. We do uh, appreciate everyone who stuck around throughout the course of the season and who did leave us one of those five-star reviews. If you haven't yet, you want to throw one in there, tell us uh, how we helped you win your championship or if you just enjoy the podcast in general, Fantasy Baseball Today or Fantasy Baseball Baseball Today in 5, uh, feel free to leave a five-star rating and review. We do appreciate it. One news item that I wanted to mention, Scott, the Mets. They are already making moves, not wasting any time. They are not picking up the 2022 option for manager Luis Rojas, an expected move after collapsing in the second half. They finished the season 77 and 85, and they have decisions to make. Javier Baez, Michael Conforto, Marcus Stroman, Noah Syndergaard, all free agents, and obviously the best pitcher on the planet on a per-inning basis has massive injury questions heading into the offseason. So... It's pretty big shoes to fill, obviously, for whatever manager has to to come to the Big Apple here because, obviously, there's expectations. There's an owner that wants to win. There's media. So, uh, I don't know who it's going to be, but it will not be Luis Rojas. Nope. Nope. And it sounds like Jace Tingler's gone from San Diego, right? I don't think that's official yet. I haven't heard anything about Charlie Montoyo, the Blue Jays manager, but it have you seen anything with him? It, it wouldn't surprise me if he was gone. I have and, not seen um, anything with Charlie Montoyo, no. None of them are big name managers, obviously, and all of them 
we're managing teams that underachieved. Um, I think I think the Padres and the Mets, most people expected them to be on in, in the playoffs at the start of the year, especially the Padres. And uh, the Blue Jays, uh, you know, they were definitely considered a contender coming in, but they were by far the team with the best run differential to miss the playoffs. They had a better run differential than both the Red Sox and Yankees, who will be playing in the wild card game today, right? Um, Tuesday. And uh, better run differential than the White Sox, better run differential than the Brewers and the Braves and the Cardinals. <laughs> better than most of the playoff teams, basically. And the Blue Jays did not make it. So that was disappointing to see. And uh, might mean Charlie Montoya isn't back. But that's not my decision to make. So we'll <laughs> we shall see indeed. I, you know, I would like to figure out just how much of that run differential came against the Baltimore Orioles this year because they had a few massive blowouts. Obviously, uh, run differential is not an all-encompassing stat, but it usually is pretty reflective of the best teams in baseball. Um, So, yeah, the Blue Jays, it it was unfortunate, but I think that they obviously are in a very good place. They need to add a few more pitchers, I think, but if Robbie Ray can pick up where he left off this year, obviously that offense is amazing. Look, we're going to go through top five at each position, there are a lot of Blue Jays on this list. So, uh, yeah, we will get into that right now. I mean, look, they probably have the Cy Young favorite, right? And Robbie Ray, two of the top three uh, MVP finishers, yep. probably, and Guerrero and, and Simeon, and maybe the Rookie of the Year and Alec Manoa, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, again, like, they're in a good spot. A lot of those names that you just mentioned, Scott, are are pretty young, obviously. Vlad and, and Manoa, we'll see what happens with Semyon. He's a free agent. Robbie Ray, uh, this is the best we've ever seen from him, but he's technically, I don't think he's old. He's kind of like in the prime of his career. Uh, it's just a matter of whether or not he can keep this up for another season. And he is 30 years old. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, he's, yeah, he's right there. I mean, that's that's not an issue. I mean, he could, he could still pitch well. So uh, let's do it. Let's look at the top five at each position. I, I'm using five by five roto finish, but I will point out if there's any big differences in uh, points leagues. And we will start at catcher, where the top five was Salvador Perez, Will Smith, JT Real Muto, Buster Posey, and Mike Zanino. If you change this over to a points league, Yasmani Grandal was fifth in points over Mike Zanino, despite playing 16 less games. So that just gives you an idea of uh, Grandal's plate discipline and and. I know early in the season, he was walking so much. It was like a ridiculous amount. Uh, and then he got hot in the second half, hitting for some power as well. well. He, was, he was ridiculous after coming back from that surgery he had, that, that knee surgery. Yep. Um, he, was, he was the best we've ever seen, Yasmani Grandal, after that procedure. And uh, very interesting player for next year. But technically wasn't top five in, in Roto, as you point out. And speaking of catchers, you could actually find Scott's top 20 ranked catchers for the 2022 season very early on obviously things could change in the offseason but you can find those live on the site right now salvador perez is obviously the one i want to highlight here 273 batting average 48 home runs 48 home runs 121 rbi which actually led all of baseball from a catcher he finishes the ninth overall player in roto and to put that in perspective will smith who was the second ranked catcher in roto was 102nd ninth Mm. 102nd. 
I mean, that type of disparity is just absolutely insane. The last time a catcher finished top 15 overall was Buster Posey back in 2012. He was the 14th overall player that season. Obviously, playing time uh, was a huge factor for Salvador Perez. He had 665 plate appearances. JT Realmuto was second at the position with 537. And I wouldn't be surprised, Scott, if for the next couple of years, we still see that plate appearance total remain high for Salvador Perez because... They have a few other, well, they have another catcher coming in MJ Melendez. I, I don't know how early we'll see him next year, but I think as long as Salvador Perez is on the Royals, he will get at bats at DH. Yeah, well, he started 40 games at DH yep. this past year. And, uh, you know, typically he hadn't done that. Uh, in 2018, he, he also started 30 games at DH, but for most of his career, almost exclusively catcher. So, you know, and, and obviously the way he hit justified him taking up all those at-bats at DH. So he's old for a catcher. He has a lot of mileage on him, obviously. But, I mean, it wasn't just this season that was historic. In 2020, short as it was, he was by far the most productive catcher as well. It's just we kind of we wrote it off or downplayed it because of, all that took the 2020 season was or wasn't. And uh, he ended up being a nice mid-round value. In fan, obviously, I mean, historic season for a catcher, set the record for home runs in a season by a player who primarily played catcher. And I believe the only other catcher ever to lead baseball in home runs was Johnny Bench twice. And Salvador Perez wasn't alone with 48. Right, he, he tied with uh, Guerrero, I believe. Yep, yep, that is correct. But still, I mean, historic season, obviously. And you mentioned he led all hitters in RBI, like outright. I will. I'll pull it up again because I, I was so like taken back, taken aback when I saw it. I was just like, yeah. no, this can't be real. Yeah, he did. Yeah, Salvador Perez one twenty one, Jose Abreu one seventeen, Teoscar Hernandez one sixteen. That's your top so three. There's, there's no disputing who will be the first draft. Catcher drafted next year. Let's move on to first base, the top five at the position. Vladimir Guerrero, Paul Goldschmidt, Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson, and Austin Riley technically had first base eligibility there this year. He only played 10 games, so he will not have first base eligibility next year, not on CBS at least. Uh, so if you want to in- exclude Austin Riley, then Jose Abreu would be the fifth first baseman. Vlad Jr. finishes as the first. Number one, numero uno. In Roto, the first overall player this season, 311 batting average, 48 homers, 123 runs scored, 111 RBI, even chipped in four steals. Uh, he had a 941 OPS or better in every month except August when he had a 51% ground ball rate. And as long as he keeps that launch angle up, which is what we said in the offseason last year where if he can just hit more line drives and fly balls, then we might actually, look, no one expected this, but we might see that breakout season coming for him. If he keeps that launch angle up, he will be a top three to five pick for years to come. I don't know how many years, but a lot of them. Yeah, I, he, he will. And that was the upside he was thought to have. Uh, it it kind of hit all clicked at once this year for the 22-year-old, which... Given how young he is, yeah, it's a very bright future. And it's it's rare in these modern times to see a non-base stealer finish number one in Roto. So, 
that that shows you the kind of year he had at bat. In fact, it looks like he led the majors and runs scored actually. Uh yes, he did. Yep, 123. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what's crazy? Three Toronto Blue Jays in the top five. Vlad Jr. 123. Bo Bichette was second with 121. Marcus Semyon at 115. Man. It's crazy. It's <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. Run scoring machine. That run differential. Man. Yeah. Let's move on to second base. Trey Turner was the number one second baseman this year. Marcus Semyon was second. Ozzy Albies was third. Jorge Polanco and then Jose Altuve. And if you look at points leagues, then Whit Merrifield actually sneaks in the top five in that format. Marcus Semyon has now finished as a top 20 player overall in two of the last three seasons. And Ozzy Albies, I wanted to point out, very quietly goes 30 20, 30 homers, 20 seals. He's one of five players to do that this year. Fernando Tatis, Shohei Otani, Jose Ramirez, Cedric Mullins are the other four that accomplished that feat. We spoke about Semyon a little bit recently, Scott, and basically I think it doesn't completely control his value, but where he signs in the offseason will have some effect on it, obviously, because if he goes somewhere like San Francisco or even back to Oakland, I guess, is a possibility, I think that we have to... Uh, lower him or lower our expectations at least coming off this year where he played in three different venues, but they were all fantastic for, for offensive output. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or Detroit. I wonder how that would play. I know I did see, I I saw a story that the Tigers are going to be in on um, shortstops this year, uh, this all season. Yeah. I saw Carlos Correa mentioned as a possibility. Obviously he has ties with AJ Hinch, but yeah, I mean, that makes sense. The Tiger, did they technically finish second? Did they finish? No, they were third, but they were very close. 475 winning percentage. And their best two prospects, they haven't even debuted yet. So the Tigers are close to contending again, and I could definitely see them making a big splash in free agency. But I will point out for Marcus Simeon, you know, as long as he goes to kind of a neutral environment, I don't think I'm going to downgrade him much. I'm not going to move him out of the second round. Uh, he actually hit the majority of his home runs on the road this year. He had 21 of his 45 home runs came in August and September. I I kept waiting for him to you know, slow down to regress because the underlying numbers weren't really backing up. The expected stats not really backing up what he was doing, but he just kept getting... It just kept getting better and better as the season went on, it seemed like. So I have him firmly in my second round now as the top second baseman. Well, not the top second baseman because I guess Trey Turner is eligible there. But but obviously Marcus Simeon looking like a stud. Uh, can I jump back to first base? I know you're trying to pace us here, but I wanted to point out something that may have slipped by a lot of people. Okay. Paul Goldschmidt second Yep. at first base in Roto. And in the prime of his career, he was a decent base stealer. He got back to stealing 12 bases, the most in the most since 2017. He was perfect 12 for 12 on the base paths. But you know, really, it's it's mostly about what he did at the plate. Turned back the clock there too. Over the final four months, the final two thirds of the season, hit 322 with 25 homers and a 978 OPS. And you know, he's he's somebody who I think is going to be really interesting for next year. You know, I, I don't think you draft him ahead of Freddie Freeman, but Matt Olson, uh, where does he place there? 
Uh, even when you look at other positions, other other like power first guys like Aaron Judge and Jordan Alvarez. So I'm, I'm thinking like the round three, four range in Roto. Like, does Goldschmidt belong back there? He's 34 years old, so he's in the twilight of his career. But he just had this season where he bounced back to it, to being the guy that we knew him to be for for several years, like the first round mainstay, basically. Um, from what, 2013 to 2017, 18. I don't know. What do you think? No, it's a great question. It's a great question. And my, my first instinct is, while you know, everything backs up what he did, you know, I'm looking at the StatCast page. He's 85th percentile or better in basically everything. Barrel rate, average exit velocity, hard hit, ex-WOBA, ex-BA, ex-slug. I mean, there's nothing in the underlying numbers. And I, I wonder, Scott, because you mentioned the final four months of the season, that's right around when the crackdown happened for sticky substances. So maybe the past couple of years, he was a victim of pitchers doing things that maybe they, doing things excessively that they weren't doing earlier in his career. So that's like the first place that my mind went. And maybe maybe he's just getting back to that player that he was. But my first instinct is to not not buy a player coming off of a huge bounce back season at 34 years old and paying that price. If it, if it does turn out to be a third or fourth round price tag, I probably would not want to do that. Um, just him versus like Matt Olson or even like Pete Alonso, someone else at the position. I, I would rather have Goldschmidt over those two guys. Over Alonso? Yeah, and over Matt yeah. Olson. Yeah, that's specifically how I specifically in Roto, yeah. Because well, what about Goldschmidt versus Salvador Perez? Because I said Perez not until round five. Oh gosh, <laughs> that's what I said. You didn't chime in, so yeah, yeah. Oh, not man. worst champ. Uh, I I think I think I would take what I still believe to be the the biggest advantage at the catcher position. I, I think I would lean that way with Salvador Perez, but. Realistically, the answer is probably neither. I, I just, yeah, I don't usually invest in catcher early. And it's nothing against Salvador Perez. I think he's awesome. I think, uh, I don't think he's going to hit 40 plus home runs again, but can he hit 30 to 35? Some, yeah, I think that's, I think that's possible for him. Um, yeah, that's a long way of saying I think I would go with Salvador Perez over Goldschmidt, but I don't think that I will have either. Let's move on to third okay. base. Uh, Jose Ramirez, Rafael Devers, Austin Riley, Manny Machado and Max Muncy, who only played seven games at third base, so he won't have eligibility there. If you take him out, Nolan Arenado is the next name up at the position. Rafael Devers has now finished as a top 12 player overall in Roto in two of the last three seasons, uh, and he does that even with a 751 OPS against left-handed pitching. So obviously that drags the numbers down a little bit, but it's not a hindrance enough to affect his overall production. Obviously, finishing as a top 12 player overall in two of the past three years. So I know you had him at the back end of round two in your early mock drafts, gotten. I think that's fair. I, I, I think he's a second round bat. Yeah, I, I think that's what the consensus is going to be. I don't... I mean, you say he finished top 12 in Roto, but the thing is he doesn't really help in steals. He doesn't really help in batting average. Now, he's young enough and I, I like the way he's trending enough that I think he could become a help in batting average, but so far he's he's really just been a three-category guy, which you don't think of as placing that high or going that high. 
I, I get to that 24th pick and I don't really know who to put there. So I'm kind of just going with the consensus and saying Devers right now. And obviously very early in the process, these things could change. But that's that's where I am with it initially. I don't feel great about it. I don't feel great about it because I think Manny Machado is just as good with the bat. I understand he finished 10 home runs behind Devers this year, but we've seen him you know, be a mid-30s home run guy before. I think he's still perfectly capable of that. And he's a little bit more of a base dealer than Devers. So why why wouldn't I prefer Machado to Devers? I, I feel like that's people putting on some projection on Devers because of how young he is and how accomplished he is already at such a young age. There is a position scarcity element here, I think, too, because third base is... Um, it gets it gets pretty ugly. It gets pretty ugly. Though, I don't know, it, it kind of feels like every infield position is like that. Like, there's not really 12 to go around, at least in a standard 12-team league context. There's not 12 that you're going to feel great about at any of the infield positions. But I haven't reviewed them all yet, so I may be wrong about that. I will point out with Devers, he finishes as a two, with a 279 batting average uh, two years ago, back in 2019. He was up at 311. His XBA this year was 286. So I think there's a little wiggle room there, Scott, for him to get up over 280, maybe even approach 290, uh, especially given how hard that he hits the ball. So I think that's yeah. like a fair median projection expectation for uh, for Rafael Devers. So, and even with that, like the league average batting average this year was like 244. So yeah, I mean. I- it's it's not fair to say he's not a help yeah. in batting average. I just mean he's just not elite he, in that he, category. He's not like a three hundred hitter. Yeah, I know he was in twenty nineteen, but nobody was really buying in twenty nineteen. And I think you know two eighty range is more what you can expect from him. And for a non base stealer to go that early with a two eighty batting average, it it's just it just seems a little off to me. But you know, one thing I noticed is, and and I could could have pointed out when you were talking about Ozzy Albies. He had 100 runs, 100 RB, over 100 runs, over 100 RBI. Same is true for Devers. And I, I, I was noticing how big a deal that was, how, how big of a difference that made for hitters in the Roto final tally. Just that, that combination of 100 and 100 or close to it, which makes sense. Uh, it's not, those aren't stats that we talk very much about directly because. Uh, obviously, they're dependent on factors beyond a player's control, but there is value to being in a good lineup. And uh, I would expect the Red Sox to have a good lineup again next year. I don't think it's as good as as some, but it it should be good enough that that that's an advantage to Devers as opposed to to his detriment. Uh, let's move on to shortstop here. Bo Bichette, Trey Turner, Fernando Tatis, Marcus Semien, and Jorge Polanco. All three of Semien, Polanco, and Turner will have second base and shortstop eligibility next year. Fernando Tatis will have shortstop and outfield eligibility next year. Uh, four players who finished inside the top seven overall were at this position at shortstop. Bichette, Turner, Tatis all setting up to be First round picks, at least in Roto. You know, we mentioned Bobachet, probably not going to be. No, he's definitely not going to be a first round pick in head to head points. But yeah, this is a uh, a really really strong position, especially up top, Scotty. It is. Now it's interesting that you said 
Simeon, Polanco, Turner, all second base eligible. And I mentioned that next year I'll have a second baseman, Turner, and a and it going in my first round and a second baseman, Simeon, going in my second round. And um, I wonder how much that's going to rob from shortstop. First of all, it makes second base look better than we're used to it looking in recent years. And it might thin the herd at shortstop quicker than we've grown accustomed to as well. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, let's see. Did you ask me about a player specifically? No, just that. No, nope. I mean, there are some elite names here up at the top. Yeah. Even more yeah. so than other positions that we've mentioned so far. Well, and uh, we're not used to thinking of Jorge Polanco being an elite company, but there he is. Yep. Legitimate uh, five-category contributor this year. Now, he's he's somebody I'm annoyed about the season he had because I <laughs> he was one of my sleepers coming into the year. I was drafting him late in a lot of Roto Leagues. You know, usually I give it about six weeks for a player to come around. He, he got off to a dreadful start, right? Mm-hmm. And he was coming off ankle surgery that would, you know, the story was it kind of wrecked his 2020. Uh, and then he was having more pain in that ankle. And so I bailed on him, I think, in every league I drafted him in. Oh, God. Uh, late in May. Late in May. I, I really gave, I really stuck with him for a long time. But given the story about the angle and the way he was bruising, I let him go. And then from June 1st on, Jorge Polanco hit 28 homers, stole eight bases, had an 881 OPS. Oof. So, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't great. It, Didn't feel good about that. I'm interested to see what the Minnesota Twins do this offseason, too, because they're kind of in this weird spot. They they sold off Jose Barrios, and obviously Joe Ryan comes in, and he looked good for the most part. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of the Minnesota Twins. They, they're an interesting team. Let's hit a quick break. When we return, we will talk about the outfield, starting pitcher, and relief pitcher next on Fantasy Baseball Today. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam, with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here. The hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, so the top five at the outfield position includes Shohei Otani, Fernando Tatis, Teoscar Hernandez, Bryce Harper, and Juan Soto. Soto actually finished as the first overall outfielder in head-to-head points. Shohei Otani will not have outfield eligibility next year, so if I take him off this list, Nick Castellanos would be the next man up there. Teoscar Hernandez, this guy is legit, and I, on behalf of all of us here, 
would like to apologize specifically to you for ever doubting the talent because what a season this guy had. 296 batting average, 32 homers, 92 runs, 116 RBI, 12 steals, five category contributor, the strikeout rate down to a career best 24.9%. The line drive rate up over 25% each of the past two years. That will fuel a high BABIP, fuel a high batting average as well. He was 88th percentile or better in average exit velocity, hard hit, XBA. I think he's legit, Scott. I think Teoscar Hernandez is there. Yeah. Yeah, it's fair to say at this point. And and look, I was down on him coming into the year too. Every chance I had to talk about him, I said Teoscar Hernandez was my most obvious bust candidate for this year. The one I was most confident in. Now he did he did change up the skill set on us, which is unfair to do that Tay Oscar getting that strikeout rate down by as much as he did. But now that it is down, it's definitely easier to see his strengths. And um, somebody who's going to be worth considering in that fourth, fifth round range next year as well, I believe. Uh, By the way, you mentioned Juan Soto goes from being first in Rota to first in points. He had 145 walks this year compared to 93 strikeouts. A difference of... 52. <laughs> wow. I mean, when you have 52 more strikeouts than walks, that's pretty good, right? To have 52 more walks than strikeouts. I mean, this is the best on-base guy we've seen. I know Joey Votto's had some great on-base years too, but this one soda might be the best we've seen since like Barry Bonds, you know? <laughs> 20, 22% walk rate he finishes with on the year. The next qualified batter was Joey Gallo at 18%. Juan Soto, 313 batting average, 465 OBP, which, you're right. I mean, it's just massive. And the Nationals are another team, too, where I, I, don't, I don't really know where they're going to go from here. They, they do have some young, interesting players in their farm system, too. So I don't think they're like going to be bad for a long time, per se. But uh, I, look, if they don't improve the lineup, maybe that walk rate remains high because teams just kind of pitch around Juan Soto. And well, it's got to remain high. Yeah. That's for sure. Like, could he, but I believe... This could he have the, a true Bonds year where he walks like 200 times? I believe that it was it was this high because the lineup after they traded Trey Turner, I, I mean, it was just so bad. So like, oh, well, not really. It wasn't awful, but the, no. teams didn't really have to worry about... They could pitch around Juan Soto a little bit more, you know? Well, I mean... It made him better if that's the case because his second half on base percentage was 525. He was on base more than half the time in the second half. Oh my. Wow. That is, um, that's insane. Yeah. That is, that well, is he awesome. Only hit, he only hit 29 home runs. He only stole nine bases. But he also, he had that injury earlier in the year. I believe it was, what was it, a shoulder? He had, he had an IL stint. And, and when he came back, he was like, it took him a while to get back on track. I remember people were emailing us in like, what's wrong with Juan Soto? You mm-hmm. keep saying he's going to yeah. bounce back. And then lo and behold, the second half was a massive second half for him. But uh, yeah. I mean, he he did this even with being banged up for the first month at least. Strange shoulder in, in April. Yeah. Missed about two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember that too. And obviously, I, I don't think any of us were ever really worried about Juan Soto. But he, other than that shortened 2011 season, he hasn't put up a first-round caliber home run total. His career high is 34. 
home runs. And, you know, I, I, all I'm trying to say is I don't think there's much of a justification to take him first overall in Roto Leagues next year. Don't really just see the justification to take him ahead of Guerrero or Tatis. Acuna, if he's looking healthy, still remains to be seen, but obviously you want those steals. So top five, yes, for Soto and Roto next year. <laughs> but um, but I don't really... I'm, I'm, if, if people try to make the first overall case for him in Roto, I'm not going to be with them. I can understand it more for points leagues. I actually, I, I think he's going to fall further back in the first round in Roto, Scott. Where, where the, I've, we use... I've seen some people saying first overall for him. So. Oh, well, no, I, I mean... I think you can make the argument in a points league. I mean, you probably still want to be pretty aggressive with pitching there, but in in Roto, I'm going to want Trey Turner ahead of him. Even without the batting average, I want the power and speed of Jose Ramirez. Really? Yeah. No, I think think Bo Bichette versus Juan Soto is like a real conversation in Roto. So I'm going, assuming Acuna is healthy, I'm going Soto 4, Otani 5, Trey Turner 6. Jose Ramirez, seven. Mm. Yeah, I think... I don't know what's going to happen with Acuna, but I think Trey Turner is probably going to be... like If I don't have Acuna up there, then he's probably going to be the third player off the board for me in Roto. This is an interesting stat I saw for Trey Turner today. Every single month, he hit at least 300. (laughs) That's awesome. I mean, you you, you love that consistency. It's it's great. And I mean, he's Mm -hmm. become not a power hitter, but certainly enough power uh, to, to sustain being a top five overall player in, in this format. So uh, it's good. Okay. It's a good conversation. So, you, so you're making the case even harder that Juan Soto shouldn't go first overall because you don't even have him in the first half of the first round. No, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep, that's that's where I'm at. Uh, starting pitcher, top five, Max Scherzer, Walker Bueller, Zach Wheeler, Julio Arias, and Corbin Burns. If you look at head-to-head points, Robbie Ray sneaks into the top five. And... Uh, you, you brought up Teoscar Hernandez, how he was your biggest bust uh, that you were talking about this year. Max Scherzer, I was pretty worried about him myself. So, I mean, you take an L, I'll take an L. We all take an L, uh, <laughs> except for the only league where I got Max Scherzer was Tout Wars. So, um, it's kind of funny and ironic how that works out. Uh, the well, lesson, no, no, that's a good lesson because the Bueller's here too. Yeah. And Bueller was, it, you know, Teoscar Hernandez, if that was the bust I was loudest about, the bust call... Then Bueller was the one I was second loudest about, but I drafted him in the podcast for the People League with my second pick, sixteen team league, but still my second round pick. I spent on Walker Bueller, who I'd been calling this bust all along, and I don't win that league without Walker Bueller. In fact, I think he won the league for me on the last day of the season with his eleven strikeout performance. Uh, so it's it's important to remember that. It's important to not be so high on your own opinions that you can't, that you overlook reason. You know, it made sense in the context to take this guy who I wasn't particularly high on because it seemed like nobody else was high on him either, at least not as high as they should have been. Or, or, or he met a specific need. And like, you know, bus picks aren't made with. More than like 60% confidence, right? They just got to remember that in the heat of a draft. Yeah. And I think to your point, I, it was like a very interesting circumstance how I wound up with Scherzer because Tout Wars is a salary cap draft. And 
I knew that I didn't want to, I, I typically in, in deeper leagues where there's more roster spots, I, I don't, I like to have a balanced roster. I, I didn't spend more than $31 on any player on my Tout Wars team. And I, I wanted an ace, but all of them went for so much money. And then it just turns out Max Scherzer is kind of slowing down in like the high 20s. We get to 30. I, you know, I start bidding. I bid 31. I didn't really want him, but I got mm-hmm. him for less than every other ace in that tier. I got him for less than Bueller, for less yeah. than Arandola, for less than Luis Castillo. And, and I didn't want him, but it just kind of worked out yeah. that he was the best value in that tier. And so I was like, all right, I'll take him. He was the cheapest and, one, and he turned out to be the best. And I remember you live tweeting it, and, and you were, <laughs> you seemed really disappointed that you got Scherzer. Yeah. And I remember being really upset with myself for drafting Bueller there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the lesson learned that I wanted to bring up about the Dodgers, particularly uh, two of them in the top five, which I mentioned Walker Bueller and Julio Arias. I guess just don't just don't doubt the Dodgers starting pitchers, right? Like overall, it's easier to say now that you know they did something that we've never seen them do before. Coming off the shortened season, Walker Bueller, one of four starting pitchers with 200 innings pitched this year. Julio Arias, one of 11 starting pitchers over 185 innings. He won 20 games. Yeah, he he was I the never league. would have imagined Julio yeah. Arias in his first year as a full time starter would win 20 games. But I, I for me, I think the the lesson here, Scott, is just is trusting the talent. Like we we knew that they were talented. Like we knew that we knew Walker Bueller, and we said it. We were like, you know, on a on a per inning, on a per pitch basis. Probably didn't say it as much for Arias, but we definitely said it for Bueller. Like we never doubted the talent. We just didn't know what the usage was going to be. Yeah, I I don't know. This is this is you know process versus results, and and the yeah. le- it wasn't the only league where I drafted Bueller. I drafted him in at least one other league. So you know, um. I didn't blind myself to the potential he offered, but I do think it was reasonable given the Dodgers' history with pitching and their pitching depth. They tended to be very careful with these young guys, and especially coming off a shortened season where nobody got any innings. I I still think it was reasonable to assume that's the direction they'd go. Now, they ended up losing a lot of pitching depth, and I don't know how much that contributed to what happened with Bueller and and Arias, but you know, it didn't seem like they were taking it easy with them even early on. So, you know, I I don't know. I don't know yet that I have a lesson to learn there. Just that, you know, (laughs) doesn't always go the way you think it is. I'm I'm hoping these things at starting pitcher will get more predictable coming off a more typical season. (laughs) Scott, did you just put starting pitchers and predictable in the same sentence? Yeah. Because uh, I'm sorry to break it to you, buddy, but that's never going to happen. It's just, it's just never going to happen. Uh, at relief pitcher, the top five, Liam Hendricks, Freddie Peralta, Rysel Iglesias, Josh Hader, and Kenley Jansen. One of my bold predictions before the season was actually that Rysel Iglesias would lead baseball in saves, and he finishes with 35, tied for fifth. So not far off, but I thought, uh, I thought it was worth mentioning there. He's an unrestricted free agent, and it'll be interesting to see where... Rysel Iglesias lands this off season. And I think that's a good way to kind of transition into uh, league leaders and trends because I do have some stuff on saves that I want to get into, but we will start with the offensive offensive side of things. And at batting average, Trey Turner finishes with a 328 batting average. He leads all of baseball home runs. We mentioned Vlad and Salvador Perez up at 48 RBI Salvador Perez, 121 Jose Abreu was second with 117 run scored. Vlad Guerrero, 123. I also mentioned three of the top five run scored leaders this year uh, were from Toronto. Vlad, Bobachet, and Marcus Semien. Your steals leader, 
Starling Marte with 47 is just crazy. Like, as soon as he, he was running a lot in Miami, but once he got to Oakland, it was like this guy's hair was on fire. Like he was just running every opportunity that he had. Also, by, a free by the agent. way, I don't, I don't want to rub salt in the wound for athletics fans, but he gave up Jesus Lazardo and don't even go to the playoffs. That's 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 got to hurt. I mean, look, hey, the same thing happened yeah. for Toronto, right? Uh, they do have Barrios for another year, so yeah, they have Barrios for another. Like Marte's, I assume he's gone. I don't. I doubt yeah. Oakland will be re-signing him. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, typically they don't spend a lot of money in, in free agency. I don't know how much. You know what kind of contract Starling Marte is going to demand, but uh, he, he's going to be an interesting name too because an older player, much kind, much like Paul Goldschmidt, who is coming off a career season at least in terms of batting average and steals. So, uh, do you want to buy in on that? I could see in a roto league, there's going to be people advocating to take Starling Marte as early as the second round. Yeah. So I got him. I got him in round three. Okay. Um. I'm going to try, we'll see if I stick to this, but right now I'm thinking I'm going to try not to intentionally pursue stolen bases in a Roto League because I just didn't have enough of the other offensive categories. And like stolen base is a category where it seems like it's pretty easy to accidentally finish eighth, you know? Yep. Not finish dead last just because they're you're dealing with such small numbers to begin with. So... I, Starling Marte seems like the kind of player I'm not going to draft next year. You know, if I get a great base dealer in round one, well, he does everything else well, so I'm not going to turn him down. But it's not going to be something I'm intentionally pursuing. All right. On the pitching side of things, Julio Arias, we mentioned 20 wins. He led baseball strikeouts. Robbie Ray was first with 248. Zach Wheeler finishes just one strikeout behind him with 247. Your ERA leader at starting pitcher, Corbin Burns, 2.43. And at relief pitcher, Aaron Loop, who is a uh, left-handed reliever for the New York Mets. Josh Hader was second behind him at 1.23. Your whip leader, Max Scherzer, 0.86 among starting pitchers. And at relief pitcher, Liam Hendricks had a 0.73 whip. Uh, Your saves leader was Mark Melanson, who finished with 39. It was the first time since 1982 that we didn't have a reliever with at least 40 saves in a full (laughs) season. So obviously there was the strike short in 1994 uh, and then last year, which was only 60 games. But this is the first time that hasn't happened since 1982, which I've that was kind of interesting. Neither of our lifetimes. Yeah, that's true. Uh, let's take a look at some macro level trends, 2021 versus 2019, uh, which was the last full season that we had. And um, specifically looking at saves, we had 1,191 saves this year. There were 11 le- less back in uh, 2019. And if you're looking specifically just at 30 plus, uh, pitchers with 30 plus saves, this year we had nine Back in 2019, we had 11. So that's interesting. Overall, we had more saves this year, just in baseball. But back in 2019, we had more relievers with 30-plus saves. So that tells me there was probably a few more teams going with a committee approach or just riding the hot hand or just didn't have enough good pitchers to to piece it together. The Reds, the Royals, they all kind of come to mind where we were chasing those teams all year, and they were pretty frustrating. Um but what do you think? Scott? Yeah. Like overall, there was so there was 39 pitchers with double digit saves this year, 37 back in 2019. So I I think that kind of feeds into the same point that there were 
overall, there was just like more of that like cluster in the mid, maybe like 10 to 20 saves this year than we're used to seeing. Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to count up real quickly how many even had 30 or more. This, this year? Yeah. It was nine. Oh, right. You already said that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I mean, it does seem to be the way things are trending. It, I noticed it more this year than ever before because, you know, last year, as short as the season, well, there were a lot of changes at closer last year, even in just two months' time. But there, there is, it's typical for there to be a lot of shuffling early in the season, especially because, you know, teams, uh, pitchers fall out of favor who were in favor the previous year just because it's, that role is so volatile. But usually when teams find a guy that they trust, they they tend to stick with him. And it just took so many teams so long to do that, and several never really did it. You know, I wonder about guys like Giovanni Gallegos, who appeared to secure the closer role late for the Cardinals. Dylan Floro, he's still under contract for the Mars. I think he finished with 15 saves. He got a ton in September. Uh, but he's less than a strikeout per inning and kind of kind of Brandon Kinsler-like, and we saw what happened to Kinsler this year with the Phillies. A guy like, uh, uh, I'm forgetting his name, but the Rangers got Joe Barlow. Joe Barlow. Yeah. Now, and, and Scott Barlow seemed like he secured the role late for the Royals, but I could see maybe the Royals bringing somebody else, and I don't really see the Rangers bringing somebody else in. So how firm is their grip on the role heading into next year? I don't know. I don't know, but it... That's something I'm going to have to think a lot about because you know I've I've never been somebody who intentionally pays for saves, and I still don't think I will be because it's not like it's not like saves was a category in all but maybe one roto league where it's like oh man I wish I had more saves like there's a lot of shuffling guys in and out of the the lineup all year but it's pretty easy to be competitive in that category, even if you don't make a big investment, but I'm sure it feels great to just have Josh Hader plugged in all year yep. and, and not have to, not have to pursue it. So it's something I'll look at again next year, but I, I think, I think I'm once again, going to go the bargain route for that category. Yeah. I don't know that I'm ever going to be someone who uses a top, four or five round pick on that elite closer. I understand why people do it. I mean, to get saves and awesome ratios and strikeouts from someone like Liam Hendricks or Josh Hader, it's great. You know, Like you said, just pencil it in and you know what you're going to get. Uh, but I do think the deeper the league, the deeper the category league, the more likely I am to spend, let's say a top 100 pick or a top 120 pick on, on just someone who is just solidly in that role, whether it's a Riceley Glacius, wherever he goes, a Ryan Presley, even Kenley Jansen, who just continues to get it done. I mean, I have all, all offseason to look into his peripherals and everything else that he did, but I do mm-hmm. think the deeper the league, the more likely I, I will have to have at least one of those. Um, well, that, that makes sense. Ones. I mean, yeah. there are a finite number of projected save sources going into the season. So the, 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 the the more that has to be spread among the fantasy teams and the higher the premium for anybody who's projected for saves. Like the NL only league yeah, I won. I mean, no closer goes for less than $12. No projected closer in that league, in that, in that type of format. So, yeah, that makes sense. 
All right. Uh, workload concerns for starting pitchers. We had them coming into the year, and they were real. There was only four pitchers with 200-plus innings pitched. There were 15 of those back in 2019, 11 more just two years ago. And even that, that was already trending down for basically the past decade. So obviously coming off the 60-game season, it was probably even worse than expected. And then we had 20 starting pitchers with 180-plus innings this season. That was 33 back in 2019. If we look at league hitting stats, there were uh, there was a 244 overall league batting average in baseball, 728 OPS, 23% strikeout rate, a 13.6% home run to fly ball ratio. And this is something we spent a lot of attention on early in the season, Scott, because the dead and ball uh, offense was way, way, way down in April, did bounce back a little bit. It'll you know, if, I'm sure if I break it down by month, like second half of the season on, I'm, I'm sure offense probably looks much closer to 2019. Uh, but speaking of 2019, it was a 252 batting average, 758 OPS, and home run to fly ball rate was almost 2% higher, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it actually is. Um, so the dead and ball, I think, overall did affect offense quite a bit this season. Yeah, but let's, let's put it in perspective because 2019 was the extreme end of the juice ball era. The juice ball era began in the second half of 2016. And um, so there were 59 home runs hit, fi- sorry, 5,900 home runs hit approximately this year. It was 5,500 in 2018. So still during that juice ball era, um, there were less, there were fewer home runs hit in 2018 than there were this year. Uh, in 2017, there were 6,100 hit. So it was pretty close to that. It's pretty close to what we saw in 2017, a little less than what we saw in 2017. But still, like an era where there are a lot of home runs being hit, it feels like maybe the distribution wasn't as even. Like there wasn't, there wasn't as many like scrubby middle infielders hitting 20 plus home runs. But I haven't actually looked at that yet. That's just kind of my, how I perceived it. Uh, well, if you look at 30 plus home run hitters, just in general, not a, not just for scrubby middle infielders, but there were 43 with 30-plus homers this year compared to 58 back in 2019. So, that, that, I mean, that's a pretty yeah. big disparity. 15, yep. 15 more hitters with 30-plus home runs. Uh, and if you look at steals overall, there were 19 with 20-plus this year. There were 21 back uh, with 20-plus back in 2019. And it looks like there were overall... There was 67 steals less just across baseball this year. So steals mm-hmm. are trending down. Uh, it, it wasn't as big of a drop-off this year compared to 2019 as maybe we had expected, but it was actually pretty similar when I looked at the distribution of steals at least uh, you know a couple of days after the season has ended. Let's uh, wrap up here, Scott. Of course, you know it's our first off-season podcast. We're already going an hour, over an hour, because you know why not? We like to give the people content, Scott. That's what they want. Uh, but this is what people can expect in the off-season: Tuesdays, Thursdays. Typically, we'll go. I imagine we'll go less than an hour. But your postseason predictions. What do you got here, Scotty? Give me your. Let's start with wild card winners, right? We got the Yankees against the Red Sox. Gosh, I'm gonna be an absolute mess. We're we're recording this Monday night. It's re- releasing on Tuesday. I'm going to be a mess all day, all night, Scott. It's it's very scary. Yankees against the Red Sox, Dodgers against the Cardinals. Who you got? <sighs> Yankees against the Red Sox. Okay, the wild card games. I will go... Uh, I, 
I will go Dodgers. That's the easy one, right? The Dodgers. Yeah, man, it would stink if the Dodgers were eliminated that early. I mean, not for any team in the NL, but... It certainly would not stink for Cardinals fans. (laughs) And I'll go with the Yankees. Yankees, Dodgers. Oh, my goodness gracious! Correct answer. I appreciate it, Scott. All right, who you got in the ALCS? Who you got in the NLCS? So... I see the Braves beating the Brewers, and I don't think that's just the homerism talking. Certainly, the Brewers could beat the Braves. By the way, I'm with you. I I have Yankees and Dodgers in the as wild card winners. Okay, so I'll put the Braves in the NLCS, and I'll put the put the Dodgers in the NLCS rematch from last year. The Dodgers, and unfortunately, I see the Dodgers winning again. So sounds about right. Yeah. I have the Dodgers going to the World Series. Yes, likewise. I actually have them facing the Brewers in the NLCS. I'm sorry, Scott. Uh, I do think it's going to be a close series. I think we get five games between the the Braves and the Brewers. I just, I th- Braves actually finished with a higher run differential than the Brewers. Ooh, all right, that's WIW. That's that's spicy. Nice little stat to know there. I just, man, I think that combination of Burns and Woodruff is is just going to be yeah. really, really tough uh, for, for most teams. I, I can see the more, the Brewers giving the, the Dodgers some trouble as it, well. It depends on Charlie Morton and Max Freed continuing yep. the way they closed out the season because the way they closed out the season, I think they can match those guys and then the offense will come through. That's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping. All right, so I've got the Dodgers over the Brewers. I have the Dodgers in the World Series. Who do you have in the ALCS? Who do you have winning it all? So the ALCS, I have... I have the Astros and the Rays in the ALCS. And how dare you? Uh, <laughs> I I'm gonna put the I'm gonna put the Astros in. Ooh, you want chaos? Yeah. You want controversy? <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah, that's <laughs> that's gonna be brutal. Brutal Dodgers Astros. The Dodgers, even after, even as the defending World Series champions, their fan base, and I suspect maybe their roster may not be over what they feel like was a a fraudulent World Series loss to the Astros a couple years ago. Oh, Scott, it's never over. It's never over. I feel like I feel like as the reigning World Series champion, I feel like you can kind of let that stuff go. Mm-mm, never. Okay. Never. Those scoundrels, those cheaters, those Houston Astros. Uh, who do you have winning it all, Astros or Dodgers? Dodgers. Yeah, me too. Uh, I do have, I have Tampa Bay and actually have the White Sox in the ALCS. I have the uh, White Sox going all the way to the World Series. See, the thing that's weird about the Rays, is there one and two McClanahan and Boz? <laughs> that would be the... The junkiest starting rotation ever to pull off a World Series win, but I mean, it's not like it's not like their team-wide pitching stats are bad. So no, 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 they, they made it work during the regular season. They certainly do. They always do. They have an amazing bullpen. They'll piece it together. I have no doubts about that. I do think Tampa Bay, if the Yankees win, I do think Tampa Bay winds up uh, beating the Yankees. They've they've had their number the past couple of years. Uh, the White Sox, they, they've. Been a great story um, all season. I feel like I didn't. I don't know what their record was in the second half. I feel like they kind of cooled off in the second half overall, but uh, they still do have a great lineup. They have good pitching. They have a really really strong bullpen. So uh, I think that could be a very close series as well between the Rays and the White Sox. Uh, White Sox Dodgers World Series. Dodgers in six. 
That'll do it. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye. This is Sandra Oreda from Attacking Third, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Golazo Network dedicated to all things women's soccer. With the NWSL expanding to 14 teams, the 2024 season promises to be bigger and better than ever, and Attacking Third will be along for the ride from start to finish. Before that, though, we'll be all over the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, where the U.S. Women's National Team is looking to clinch silverware on home soil. We'll also be keeping tabs on the winter transfer window, the Women's Super League, the UEFA Women's Champions League, and elsewhere. Coming to you multiple times a week with game previews, recaps, analysis, breaking news, exclusive interviews, and more, Attacking Third is your one-stop shop for the best coverage of the women's game. Download, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure you subscribe to Attacking Third. 